HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Welcome to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm Dylan Hoyer reporting from Torino, Italy, where I'm a delegate at Terra Madre Salon del Gusto, the largest international event dedicated to good, clean, and fair food, hosted by Slow Food. More than 3,000 people, including farmers, cooks, and food activists from 150 countries, have gathered to discuss the politics of what we eat. I'm so excited to welcome Karina Okampu, a journalist and the author of La Ruta del Maiz, a book documenting her journey and the journey of corn through Argentina, Bolivia, Peru, and Mexico. Welcome, Karina. Thank you for this invitation. So your work in this book revolves around this really interesting comparison and juxtaposition between corn being the cornerstone of our industrial food system in the Americas, and then also it being used for many traditional preparations, especially for indigenous people. So can you tell me a little bit about both of these worlds? Yes, I think it's very difficult to do a juxtaposition between these two worlds because they are very different and one uh, contaminates the other. So uh, the native corn, uh, we need to, to preserve from the other side and the loss that w- wants to advance in loss that the patent the seeds. So I think it's, it's so much important to have consciousness about this. And how are native people feeling the impact of industrial seeds and industrial corn? They are, they are fighting for a lot of years. Uh, in Mexico, for example, they have a campaign, Sin Maíz No Hay País, from 2008, I think, and they are doing a, a lot of things that in, with the idea to, to fight to stop the, the transgenic corn in their country. But it's difficult because the, the producer have the seeds, so they plant it everywhere. And they could contaminate and the native corn would disappear. Yeah, and do you think that the origins of corn in America and the fact that it has these really deep roots, did that in some way set the stage for what, how industrial this crop has become? 
the history says that Mexico is the city of the, the corn. I, I think the same, like uh, 10,000 of years ago. So then uh, people and industry uh, took this and transformed that. But the origin and the native pre people like Mayans and from Aztecas too, they are conserved this and it's like their family. They live with the seeds like if they were family. So it's so uh, nice to see and so amazing to see how they they concern about them. Just, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about, about the history of how and can you talk a little bit about how industrial corn came to be so massive? Mm -hmm. uh, it was in the Green Revolution when they started to, to do a, a big impact in the industry and they have the toxic to, to increase the production and to, to do, to transform the food into something else that is not exactly food. We are consumed and we are eating things that are not food anymore. So it's like it tastes maybe, but it doesn't work. It is not for our bodies. Maybe in 50s and 60s, they started this transformation and then continue to these days, but it's an, in massive. It, it's, in, it's amazing that how they uh, could modify the seeds and then sell it or, or sell to another places, to another countries that, that we are eating uh, things <laughs> very, very bad for our health. So in trying to feed more of the world with corn, it almost, the food itself lost its, its soul and its dignity and it also kind of it's no longer controlled by people who need to have sovereignty over their food. Is mm -hmm. that right? So you must have tried a lot of different types of corn then. Can you talk about some of the differences you'd see and taste between the different mm -hmm. varieties? Yes, for example, I, I can tell you in Peru, they have a, a big corn with a, a big seed and they, well, they sell it to, to another place, but they still uh, consume that. And the, the taste is very good, so good. And you can go to a market and take it there, or you can go to... There are not so much supermarkets in Cusco, for example. In Lima, is is a bigger city. But in Cusco, it's all the little and antique places, and, and you can go and buy to the mamitas, they say, who sell the, the corn. And you can taste their uh, fresh, fresh corn. And they have another, uh, they, they can... Uh, I, I don't remember the, the word. Um, the opposite of wet. Dry? Yes. They dry the corn and they still consume all over the year, not only in the season of the corn. And then in Mexico, for example, everything is <laughs> made by, by corn. And you can go in, for example, Dia de Muertos and take in various uh, uh, 
in a lot of ways. Maybe in, in drinks, in food, in tortillas. The tortillas is the most popular thing that they consume. Um, I ate, for example, tlayudas in Oaxaca. It is made by uh, tortillas and beans. And you can, if you have meat, <laughs> maybe you can put it, uh, maybe not. You can be a vegetarian, have, have a vegetarian tlayuda. But it, the, the, it, it's so good. I like. Do you have a sense of how many different varieties of corn you've tried during this process? It's impossible. It's impossible. impossible. Yes, yes, so many. I have to add something. They have a flour. Uh, they prepare the tortilla nowadays with this flour that you, you can buy it in in supermarket that is contaminated uh, with glyphosate. So it's not... Uh, it's not healthy anymore, and the people still consuming because the majority of, pe of people uh, doesn't know that. And can you just give, you're already getting at this already, but can you give some examples of corn's importance in indigenous foodways and indigenous culture, whether it's through stories, through food, through farm work? Can you talk a little bit more about some examples that you saw of that? Mm-hmm. I was at Uchuicosco, like it's a community in the middle of the mountains in the sacred valley of Cusco. And they uh, have a celebration with the harvest and it was so beautiful to see how they uh, do that and they eat the corn and they put it on a, a place prepared for that and they be so grateful and with the, the land, the land is like and the, the soil, uh, soil and the mountains are apples, like sacred beings that they honor. So they are uh, mixed this, uh, they are part of this. They are not separated of the earth, they are part. And earlier you gave a talk here at Terra Madre and you teared up talking about the importance of the land and these plants to you. And it seems like this journey that you went on transformed your relationship with the land mm -hmm. in some ways. Can you talk more about that? Yes. I said that uh, maybe I, I was so close to, to these people, to the native peoples, and I was in the jungle. I took ayahuasca too. And I don't know if that, or maybe I have more conscious uh, about uh, what is happening with the soil, the soil and the land. Uh, we are fighting for the rights to, to grow in the land, to, to be with the land and to be part of the land. So I think, uh, yes, it's important. And it, it, I feel different that I started my journey. And Tell me about the premise of your book. What did you set out to do? And what did what maybe changed along the way in the project as you learned more? And what surprised you? Surprise? I have a lot of surprises. But maybe uh, I felt more connected with people that I think we didn't have something in common. 
but maybe for a, a friend from Norway, uh, we we think the same in in, in different things. So it, it was yes, it was amazing for me to share time with, for example, a Mexican family. I spent time a month with them, and I learned a lot. And then for native people too, uh, I think I, I have an open mind than before. Can you share some similarities and differences between the culture, the different cultures that you visited and learned about? Similarities, I think we have a lot of. Uh, in these countries, uh, we can separate it uh, gr two groups, like the native people and the communities and em environmentals, and then the other side uh, that is advanced, like I said, with laws and to to have the the patents of the seed, for example. Um, the differences, okay, these uh, both groups, it, it can be uh, showing <laughs> another time. <laughs> okay, another time, another time, that's okay. What, how was it you experienced so much? How long were you traveling in total? I traveled like one year and three months. So you took one year and three months, plus even more research. What was it like to then sit down and write your book? Were you writing along the way? What was the process like of, of translating all that lived experience into the book? I had an, an Instagram, and so I was uh, writing. Uh, meanwhile, I was traveling. So I had to work too, so a, a lot of time I spent my, my, my day working in different things. And then when I could uh, sit down and try to, to think, I had a lot of, um, of recordings. I had a lot of recordings, so I, I had to, to hear them. And I, I had time because I, we were on pandemic, so I had time to do it. And it, it was nice to do because all the knowledge I had, I put it and, and hear the records. And then I, I have memories with that, emotional memories. So I could do, I, I think, uh, a long process. Then maybe there's more to come. <laughs> what is something that you wish more people in the Americas understood about corn? Uh, I wish uh, they could they could see how important is the corn for this people, how sacred it is not only the the corn uh, all crops have have a sense a proper a purpose um, all the corps have a purpose here in, in this city, in, in this uh, world. So maybe we should uh, see how the communities uh, feel uh, the nature and then try to, to rethink or memorize uh, what we, we lost 
because we lost living in the city, we lost the contact with nature. So I think maybe if you see, if you open your mind and see what they are doing in the communities, maybe we could change the things that is happening nowadays. In your talk, you mentioned living in Buenos Aires. You, you began to feel disconnected with nature and you were surprised to learn how industrial farming was impacting you know, communities outside of your city. Can you talk a little bit about that awakening for you and what other people not so far from you are, are going through? Mm-hmm. Yes, maybe in the 90s uh, started the thing with the first soybean, the transgenic soybean that entered in Argentina. And then the people starting to to be sick and, and dying uh, with cancer. For example, we have areas, regions of Argentina, like Cordoba or Entre Rios, where the people, a lot of people, kids, uh, are dying. This is been happening a lot of years. So I, I need to tell the people that this is happening because our production is sick too. So we need to change this. Is it the production process and factories that are making them sick? Is it the food itself? What's causing the Everything, illness? everything. The, the impact of the transgenic with poisons uh, affects the fertility of the soil and obviously the water, the environmental, everything. The pesticides. Mm-hmm. So what is, what's next for you? What else are you working on and excited about? I am participating in some mobilizations, uh, for example, in Catamarca, another province. Uh, we have a problem with the mining and we are fighting for and I writing about. Uh, we are organizing a festival, a big festival in October in Andalgalá. So we are trying to invite the people to come and to share this information because it's important. They need to preserve their water because the mining affects everything, the mountain, the water. And then I would love to make a documentary, maybe about the whales, that is the project is starting. So I'm looking for some financial and Wow. <laughs> Do you consider yourself an activist? I consider myself an activist, yes, yes. Have you always, as being a journalist as well, do you think those go hand in hand? No, when I started, I started about, uh, talking about culture. And then uh, when I realized that it's happening in my country, I, I, I thought that it, it was more important to talk about it. I couldn't see an, in another direction. I couldn't talk about movies or what happened in the TV or if people are staying. <laughs> you're also, while you're at Terra Madre, attending a feminist meeting. And I wanted to learn more about that and hear your thoughts about the intersections and connections between food and feminism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yes, feminism is uh, crossing everything. <laughs> Feminism is, is, is inside, this is in our vision, so uh, everything we do is with this paradigm. Um, 
I was in another uh, meeting uh, who fight with Zapatistas uh, and it was amazing for me to know the problems of the, the women of the world. So I, I tried to learn about this and to share what I learned here in Taramadre. Maybe I, I could know a women from another places with another problems and try to to do this network and to, to do for the future too to have a, a place we can talk and discuss and, and share what we are learning because every day every time we are learning things and to protect us Thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share or talk about before we wrap up? I can tell you uh, my my contact. My yeah, please. Okay, I have a Proyecto Maíz is like a corn pro project, but in Spanish Proyecto Maíz, and you can follow me if you want and look at what what we are doing. I, I am with a shelter of seeds in Hangar Museum in Buenos Aires. So we are circulating seed and trying to be the more agroecological possible. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody for listening. Listen to more of Heritage Radio Network on tours, coverage of Terra Madre and other food events around the globe, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you to Slow Food and the Italian Trade Agency for hosting me here at Terra Madre. Heritage Radio Network on Tour is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe. HRN on Tour is powered by Simplecast. This episode of HRN on Tour was produced in part by generous funding from the Julia Child Foundation.